2: Swing.
0: Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our top 10 prospects podcast series today with the Washington Nationals. And to do that, I'm joined by Savannah McCann. Savannah is one of the newest members of the BA staff. Uh, She previously worked for MLB.com where part of her responsibilities were covering the Nationals. So she's very familiar with this organization at every level, big leagues on down, and we're happy to have her take care of the Nationals chapter of the prospect handbook for us. Savannah, I want to start before we dive into the system. How was your first year taking part in the prospect handbook process and writing a chapter?
2: It was at the exact same time, the best thing I've ever done and the most stressful and crazy thing I've ever done. I knew how much work was going to go into this, but actually doing it and the phone calls and writing, and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I was like, I just had, okay, I need to write this down. And I was like, why am I thinking about prospects 24 seven? But that's what it takes. (laughs)
0: You know, it's interesting. You and I both have been beat writers covering MLB teams in the past for our previous jobs. And I still do a lot of it here for BA. And you know, it's interesting. People ask me the biggest differences. And, you know, the grind of of being on a beat every single day is is different. And that part of that is harder about that job than this one but in terms of the reporting that goes into it being on the prospect side doing that's just a whole different level and that's where i think there's a difference between yes you know the grind of everyday beat writing is is harder on that side but the level of reporting on this side is definitely uh, much more substantial
2: <laughs> absolutely i mean on the prospect side of things i feel like i'm looking more into trends of when a major league player is in a little bit of a slump you're like okay you know we have the history to say, like, he'll get out of this. He'll back up. He can do X, Y, and Z. But when an 18-year-old starts to get into a little bit of a weird path, you're like, wait a second. Is this something I should be concerned about? Is he going to get out of this? Is he just 18? There's so many more things that go into it.
0: Absolutely. And it's uh, what makes it more interesting in some ways, but also, like you said, much more stressful, requires a lot more work to figure it out. But it's part of what we do at Baseball America in a, kind of a perverse way. We, we love it. It's what keeps us going. Like you said, even when we're not working, I, I can't say how many times I'm laying in bed, you know, having put my daughter to bed, my wife, like going living my life. It'll be 30. I'm like, oh, crap. I forgot about something. Quick, get my phone, you know, and oh, start putting something in my notes or ranking players in my notes on my free time. Yeah, it's it kind of grabs you, doesn't it?
2: I never thought I'd be that person. And here I am. And I was like, wow, life comes at you pretty fast.
0: Yes, it definitely, definitely does. Um, so with that, Savannah, diving into this national uh, organization, not just the farm system, you know, this is a team that obviously was one of the most successful in Major League Baseball throughout the 2010s. And a big part of that was their success in the drafts, drafting Steven Strasburg, drafting Bryce Harper, drafting Anthony Rendon. They drafted Lucas Giolito, traded him as part of the o for Adam Eaton, who helped them win a World Series. Uh, they're very, very successful. It's what made them really one of the premier organizations that helped lead them to their first World Series as a franchise in 2019. Now they're kind of resetting Uh, three consecutive losing seasons. We saw them really kickstart their rebuild in 2021 when they traded Max Scherzer and Trey Turner at the trade deadline for a a package of prospects and young big leaguers. That accelerated last summer when they traded franchise talent Juan Soto, another homegrown star who helped lead them to a World Series, uh, really for one of the biggest prospect halls of all time. So on the one hand, this farm system is much better than it was. Uh, We talked about in 2020, it was the worst farm system in baseball by a pretty clear margin. Again, for the right reasons, they graduated a bunch of talented prospects, traded some more vulnerable series. Um, But as those guys aged out and moved on and it caught up to the organization a little bit. um, So this big league team has been getting worse and worse as they've traded a lot of their big leaguers to go reboot this farm system. The future of this organization now really does lie in the farm system. With that, how do you assess it? It's clearly better, but how good is it?
2: When we were putting together this list and I was hearing from people, I'm like, okay, how do you rank, you know, James Wood, Robert Hassel, Elijah Green, and even Cade Cavalli? And I think I got a different answer from every person of like, this person could be number one. Well, this person could be number one. And that's the best problem a farm system could have is They have so many options of who is the best player in their farm system and not because it's a lack of talent of I don't know who to put. You have the options. So this farm system has gotten so much better that you have people down on, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of their prospects that are looking like they could be top 100 prospects in a couple months by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, it's a big change from where the Nationals were. I mean, some of the guys that previously were number six, seven, eight in this farm system are now number 15 18 20 which is really better for where their talent was it was just a fact of again this farm system was empty again for the right trade-offs the big league team was great but now we are starting to see hey there, there's more talent in this organization which long term is what you want
2: absolutely i mean it was worth it you bought the world series you won but now to get back there this is the type of farm system you can look at and say okay we have a legitimate shot if these guys continue to develop the way they look like they are.
0: Yeah, and again, there's still more depth need, and we'll get into that, but there's a really good group at the top. It does fall off a little bit once you get into the teens and 20s, but this is going to be a multi-year process, and we've seen Mike Rizzo and his staff build a good farm system and turn it into a good big league team before, so you trust the track record, and things certainly seem like they're on the right path now. It's just still in the middle of the process. It's not ending anytime soon. I guess that kind of leads me into my next question. You know, Nationals fans want to know, okay, when's the next time this team is going to be competitive? Because, look, this team went 55 and 107 last year. They were in last place. And it wasn't even like, okay, they're just a young team, you know, they're taking their lumps, but they're playing good baseball. They played really bad baseball. I think that was probably the most concerning thing is they weren't even playing fundamentally sound baseball. Some of the young guys came up. It was really, really rough. Um, How long is it going to take for this team to get back to being competitive? Because just to be very blunt about it based on the product that was out there last year, it, it doesn't look like it's anytime soon.
2: It's not. I mean, for Nats fans, I wish I could tell you, like, don't worry, this year they're going to turn it around. That's it's not the case. It is still going to be a few years. I mean, most of the, their top prospects are 19, 18, are 20. I mean, your oldest prospect is 24 years old, Cade Cavalli. And when he graduates, he's going to be replaced by another 18-year-old. So they have a lot of young players, so it is going to take a few years, but if you can hold out hope, hopefully in a couple years, those those players and prospects are going to be very good, and they will be a very competitive team again.
0: Yeah, I remember talking to an opposing GM who mentioned, look, in a few years, an outfield of Elijah Green in center, James Wooden right, Robert House on left, could be one of the best outfields in baseball, but all these guys have yet to really play above the Class A level, so it's going to take some time, but the talent is there, so with that, you mentioned Depending on who you talk to, when you talk to them, um, there are a lot of different answers about who should be number one in this system. Ultimately, James Wood got the nod. Um, I got to see a good bit of him out in Lake Elsinore this year when he was a member of the Padres farm system, wrote about him on opening day when he hit two balls about a combined 900 feet. Um, Certainly a, a very, very talented player ultimately got the nod at number one. What, Can you tell Nats fans about James Wood? Because he didn't play a whole lot for them after coming over in the trade in their organization. It was a very brief look, um, but the data looks great. The in-person scouting looks great. Very young, but a lot of potential here. Um, What ultimately gave James Wood the nod and what can Nationals fans expect in the coming years from him?
2: What gave him the nod was he at least had been able to prove himself at a low A level, showing people that he has the power, he has the speed, I mean, he's six seven, he has a chance to stick in center field, probably won't, but he's good and he has the defensive skills, he has the power, he has the hit, like he has all of the tools and he's been able to prove himself at that level. So when you're debating, you know, does it go to Robert Hassel? Does it go to Elijah Green? He's at least been able to prove himself more than Elijah Green has. And he still has a high ceiling where you can look and say he still has the chance to be a game changing, middle of the order type of hitter. And that helps of saying. We can see this much of it already rather than we haven't seen it at all.
0: Yeah, what really impressed me about James Wood, so coming out of the draft last year, he was known as this, you know, again, big physical dude, 6'7", 240, a lot of power, but he really, really, really struggled to make contact during his spring high school season, and that's a big reason why he fell to the second round. There were a lot of concerns about, you know, his approach, his swing. Is he going to make enough contact? And just having never seen him before but knowing that reputation, Going in on opening day and watching him face, you know, a 22-year-old lefty who was pretty advanced, and he's tracking baseballs deep. He's laying off of close pitches. He's working deep counts. Remember his first at-bat, you know, worked a full count, saw some pitches, you know, swung the pitch he shouldn't have to strike out, but he adjusted the very next at-bat. You know, got a decent breaking ball from a lefty and hit about 450 feet. I just noticed right away he was a much more advanced hitter than I've been led to believe, again, in terms of his pitch recognition, his ability to look over a baseball, his ability to make quick adjustments, and the contact. You look all over his heat maps, he was making contact everywhere in the zone against every type of pitch. I think that's what jumps out to me is it's easy to see the strength and the physicality, but seeing the quality of hitter he was, that was the biggest surprise for me just given his reputation coming out of the draft.
2: And people were saying, you know, he has a longer bat path because he is bigger. And that's something that was a little bit of a concern for people. But he was, like you said, able to make the contact. He was able to hit for power. And he was doing so at a rate that isn't as concerning if he continues to develop the way he is. And he, yes, he's a little aggressive at the plate, but that's something that will come with age and with rep. And hopefully he'll be able to kind of work on the aggression. But he has that ability to recognize pitches and adjust, which is huge for his age.
0: Yeah, the only caveat, and this applies to kind of everyone in the California League last year, it's not just him alone. Um, We've talked about since minor league reorganization, the caliber of pitching at Lowe has been, just to be blunt, atrocious. And the defense is as well. So a lot of balls that would have been turned into outs at higher levels are are getting through for hits, especially with gracious official scoring at local minor league parks. Um, The other thing is the California League in particular, the quality of pitching this year was absolutely horrendous. There's a lot of flat 90-91 mile-an-hour fastballs with no secondaries or guys who were throwing 96-98, but it was a ball out of the hand. They had no idea where it was going. So the California League is a very hitter-friendly league. We saw a lot of big offensive numbers there this year, and in part because, again, the stadiums, the league, but the pitching was just atrocious. So you never really know if someone can handle 96 in on their hands until they get 96 in on their hands, and James Wood didn't get that in the Cal League this year. So I think that's the one question is, okay – He might be able to hit that caliber pitching. we just don't know because he hasn't seen it yet. Um, But that said, just again, what stood out to me is that the ability to adjust, the ability to look over baseball, track pitches deep, hang in against older lefties, throwing good breaking stuff. I think at the very least, he's shown you everything he can to this stage in his career.
2: Absolutely. He's definitely going to be somebody that I'm excited to watch this season. I think this is going to be a big test for him. And if he can prove himself, who knows how high the ceiling could go.
0: Yeah, certainly a very, very exciting player. Uh, we ranked him pretty high in our top 100 to begin, but after sending feedback around the game to front office officials, they were like, no, you need to jack him up. Um, it's it's pretty loud. Again, look at it from a data standpoint. Look at it from just an eye standpoint. Go sit in the stands and watch him play. It's like, yeah, this guy has a chance to be a freak. Again, long way to go, though. We still have to see how everything kind of plays out. Robert Hassel was another key part of the trade for Juan Soto. Uh, again, Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, to. Previously top 10 overall prospects, graduated during the big leagues. Wood and Hassel were the top two prospects sent along in the deal and are now the top two prospects in this farm system. Uh, What were the initial impressions of Robert Hassel since he came over in the trade? And what are the Nationals and their fans looking at here with him?
2: He's a pure hitter. They talked about it from his draft that he was probably one of the most pure hitters in the draft class. And he's proven himself to do that. He probably has the highest floor of most of these players. He's going to be solid. He probably won't hit for a ton of power. He hasn't tapped into it yet. He still needs to develop it, but he does everything well. And I don't mean to say well enough in a way of like, eh, but he does everything well enough that it's, it's good. It makes him a solid number two on the Nats top 10 prospects.
0: Yeah, Elijah Green, who was their first round pick this year, uh, is considered, again, just kind of this physical specimen, son of a former NFL player, uh, can really do some damage when he gets a hold of the baseball. And I know him versus Hassel was an interesting discussion. Again, Wood, you know, similarly athletically freakish because he's done it. That kind of gave him the clear edge over Green. Um, but Green versus Hassel, too. What was that process like? And ultimately, what was it that elevated Robert Hassel over Elijah Green based on your reporting?
2: I think you could have done it either way and both of them could be right. And both of them could be wrong. When I was trying, when I was talking to people and trying to put together a list that made the most sense, Robert Hassel is the safer bet of who is going to pan out as an everyday big leaguer that is going to make a solid prospect. The answer there is Robert Hassel. Now, if you want to buy in on Elijah green, that also makes a ton of sense because everything we've gotten from him says he's going to be, an all-star. He's going to be a game changer. He's going to be all these things, but he hasn't done it yet. He was just drafted fifth overall, so he's young. So you can take the gamble and say, well, obviously it's Elijah Green. You know, he has X, Y, and Z above Robert Hassel. But Robert Hassel's has proven himself. He's a solid player. He's somebody that if I had to put money on it right now, I don't see him. Not that I see Elijah Green busting, but there's a better chance Robert Hassel will make it and be a solid player than Gosh forbid Elijah green doesn't work out the way everybody says that he might.
0: Yeah. Hassel got the double A as a 20 year old again, hit well at the high level. You um, know, again, I've seen a lot of him from when he was in the pottery system and just that smooth left-handed swing. The one thing that's intrigued me is um, the speed. He he can really run and that helps him leg out some extra hits and he's okay in center field. Again, he's, he's not great. If Elijah green hits his ceiling, that's definitely going to push Robert Hassel left, but you know he's okay out there and, and it's kind of interesting because there was a sense oh he might grow into this bigger corner dude but i think he's more the pure hitter who has a chance to stay in center and still some bases um it'll be interesting to see how he develops and, and with elijah green so he made his pro debut and it's interesting right you never ever ever want to go off small sample sizes especially in the complex leagues especially right after guys been drafted the guy played 12 games after a long high school season a lot of time on the showcase circuit Um, The slash line across the board was good, showed some extra base power, and there was also a lot of strikeouts. And again, you you don't want to weigh a ton of small sample size complex league time. But what he showed was kind of in line with the general view of Elijah Green that when he makes contact, it's going to be impactful contact that will allow him to really do damage and and, hit for a high average just because he hits the ball so dang hard. But there will be a lot of swings and misses there as well what is kind of the view of elijah green now how do the nationals see him and opposing scouts see him based on what he showed throughout the draft cycle and and maybe what they took away from his initial pro debut
2: people want to look at you know i think it was 45 percent swinging strikeout and that is a scary number that's a very high number and that's something you can say he's aggressive you know he doesn't do this he doesn't do this but he's so young and you said it's 12 games you're not going to base anything off of 12 games because he can come back this season and that number drops and you're like, Oh, okay. I overreacted. People still think Elijah green has the ceiling to be an insane, powerful toolsy player across the board. He has a generational talent. His dad played in the NFL. He has the ability and skill to get there. He's just young. He just needs the reps he needs the time to kind of slow down and not try to do too much of I'm going to swing at everything in hopes that when I do make contact, everyone's like, whoa, okay, that was something. He'll get to the point where it's, okay, I'm good. 12 games under my belt. I don't need to swing at everything because when I do, I'll find my pitch and I'm going to make that power.
0: Yeah, again, a very, very physically talented player. Um, You see the power, you see the speed, you see the physicality. And, and like you said getting a full offseason, going into next year, and also having the time to make adjustments. Anyone can have a, a bad 12-game stretch where they're swinging and missing a lot. just now have time to make adjustments. So he's definitely going to be, I think, for my money, one of the more interesting storylines of the Nationals minor leagues next year is, hey, how is Elijah Green doing? Um, what adjustments is he making? Because Lord knows the talent's there. Savannah, we've talked about three outfielders, three position players who are all very, very young. And Hassel got a little bit of double-A time, but on the whole, these are guys who have, mostly played the class a levels have not had a substantial amount of time if any facing upper level competition and you compare them to a guy like Cave cavalli who's the exact opposite he's a pitcher he was a college draftee he's been the upper levels He got to the majors briefly last year he's gonna graduate as long as he's healthy this year how do you stack up a guy like that with these guys and ultimately what led you to slot him in at the back of this top four
2: he was another one that I could have put him anywhere in the top three and it probably would have been right. Or it would have been wrong. He's proven himself. He has the ability and will be a huge part of the nationals rebuild. And he's going to slot right into their rotation. And the Nats are depending on him to be that guy. And he's going to join, you know, Josiah gray. He's going to join Mackenzie Gore. Like they still see that of him and they expect it of him, but with the injuries and we kind of know what we get from Cade Cavalli. He has an amazing fastball. He still needs a little work on his changeup. That's something he's working on. I ultimately heard back from everybody that put him at number four. He's right there with everybody else. He's still that guy. Don't get me wrong. But his ceiling isn't as high as potentially James Wood, Elijah Green. He's going to be a solid piece of the Nationals rotation.
0: Yeah, and I think a big part of it is, you know, him going from the Nationals' number one prospect to the Nationals' number four prospect is not something that's wrong with Cade Cavalli. The three guys ahead of him, James Wood, Robert Hasselt, Elijah Green, they weren't in this system last year. And that's what we're talking about, where this system is getting better. It's not that, you know, the players who are existing are getting worse, and it's just about, okay, yeah, it's getting better. They're adding talent. You know, Cade Cavalli is still a really good pitcher. And one of the things that intrigued me is he got off to a little bit of a slow start last year again. He's pitching in Rochester in April and early May. It's freezing in the Northeast. Um, he struggled, as a lot of people do, but once the weather warmed up and he thawed out just like everyone else, he was really dang good. Um, from May 11th through his final A start, August 20th, those final 15 starts, he had a 2.64 ERA, uh, held opponents to a 201 average, 557 OPS, didn't walk guys. That's always been a big thing with him is the control a little bit, missed a ton of bats he was really, really, really good after, again, he just wasn't no longer pitching in 45 degree weather, got to the majors, major league debut, got hit a little bit, and then unfortunately suffered some shoulder inflammation that shut him down. But, you know, the strides we saw him take, and really once he hit his gear there, um, once May uh, got started, it was really, really encouraging. Uh, Right now, I mean, where is Cape Cavalli in terms of his potential and how he's seen. Is he a potential two, three? Like how do people see him based off of everything you heard talking to scouts?
2: They see him right there. A two, a three, they, their biggest thing this season and people kind of thought, when is he going to get called up? You know, he's proving himself. It's now may it's now June. It's July. When are we going to see Kate Cavalli was all season long and they wanted him to work on his changeup. They wanted him to work on outs in the zone. And those are two things that, That organization told him and they said, listen, this is what we need from you. And he's the type of kid that was like, you know what? Got it. I'm going to work on it. And he did it. And he showed them, this is what I can do. And the organization was very impressed with, we gave you a goal. You work towards it. You proved to us that you can do it. Okay, thank you. Like, show us, don't tell us. And he did that. So I think they still see him as that guy that's going to be a number two and number three slot rate and probably three behind Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore, And he's going to be that guy that's going to get you out. He's going to use his fastball. He's going to use the rest of his arsenal against you. And he's able to make those adjustments. And he's very into visualizing things. When I talked to him at his MLB debut, he said, you know, I visualize this day, not just from how cool it's going to be, but I take myself pitch by pitch. I picture myself walking out onto the mound. I picture how I'm going to shut my brain off and just focus on pitching. He's a very visual guy, which is awesome. And he said, once he hurt his shoulder, he's like, I've been visualizing, how do I come back from this? How am I going to throw? How am I going to adjust? So I think all of that mental work that he's doing is going to show in his physical side too, of he's been mentally thinking about this, even when he couldn't throw.
0: Yeah, again, he's certainly a a really, really talented pitcher and Nationals fans got a brief glimpse of him last year. As long as he's healthy, yeah, we have to see how he comes back from shoulder inflammation. Shoulders are always scary. Um, but there's a lot of talent there. All right, Savannah, this was the clear cut top four, as you mentioned. There are a couple different ways you could have gone about it, but these were the guys in the top four. Uh, I want to dive into the back of this top 10 with you. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick
1: break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
0: Welcome back to the Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here breaking down the Washington Nationals farm system with Savannah McCann. All right, Savannah. So as we talked about before the break, the top four in the system were the clear-cut top four. You could organize them a couple different ways if you wanted, um, but it was the the clear-cut group. Once you get into this next group, this five to ten group, how many guys would you say were clearly members of the top ten versus how many guys were kind of on the cusp?
2: I have a soft spot in my heart for Jackson Rutledge, and I know that is probably not a popular opinion. So I want to put it there, but I know that's not the right answer. And I'm going to say probably like seven of the top 10 were clear cut, made sense. Even eight makes sense, but Jackson Rutledge at number nine is where I'm going to put my personal cut, a top 10 of that makes a ton of sense.
0: So given that, what is it about Jackson Rutledge that, you know, leads you to believe that, yes, he can be the type of pitcher the Nationals saw when they took him? Because he certainly has had a little bit of a bumpy road and uh, has not quite lived up to expectations so far.
2: He hasn't. He's gotten injured. He comes back. He looks pretty good. Okay, people are excited about him again. And then he gets injured. Then he comes back and he's okay. And then he gets injured. He comes back. He's great. It's a cycle that you don't want to see from a pitcher. So I understand why people kind of shied away from Jackson Rutledge, the top prospect in the nationals organization, but this season, and maybe I'm just falling trap to it, but this season he came back and he really worked, even though he was 23 years old, he's in low A. He, he was, he was really making strides in his game. They were going to move him up. He was at high A he was going to move up to double A to end the season, but they weren't in the playoffs. High it was. They kept him back. And he ended up being that guy for them during the playoffs that they could give the ball to. He would go seven or eight innings. He showed that he had that ability still. And I was talking to their coach and he was like, I know people, they can say what they want, but Jackson Rutledge is still that guy. I promise you, he has it in him. He's going to be healthy and he just has to show it. But healthy is the biggest question mark around him.
0: Yeah, by the way, you were right the first time. It was low. A. I know with the minor league reorganization flipping affiliates, yeah. uh, Fredericksburg is still a low way. But no, and you, you've seen the stuff. I saw it in the fall league in 2021. I, I think the main question I have is, at what point did they move him into the bullpen? Because it's loud stuff. And that is the role where you see, okay, if you can let him just blow it out for one inning, two innings, maybe even three, let him be kind of that that bridge guy if you need. I think that's where you can really see the value. What's the timeline for that happening? And how likely is it that it does happen?
2: So people in the Nats organization are not ready to completely give up on him being a starter. We'll see him in the bullpen more than likely, but people are dipping their toe into the Jackson Rutledge pool rather than diving in headfirst. So I'm at headfirst in the pool. I'm totally right there. He's a rotation starter. But thinking realistically, we could see him in the Nationals bullpen. Probably he's entering his 24-year-old season. Give him a couple years, not even, and he really can make an impact. He does still have the arsenal. It's just a matter of getting reps in and staying healthy for longer than you know a ten game stretch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, and in that sense, it you know was encouraging. He did throw a career high ninety seven innings last year, made twenty starts. It's something to build off of. It wasn't like previous years where he'd been limited to thirty innings and and like you said, just constantly going back and forth between uh, the injured list and and the rotation. Someone else who was a first round pick in the system who had a bit of a difficult year last year was Brady house. He was considered one of the top high school players in last year's draft class this year, had a back injury, came down with COVID, uh, just never was really able to get off the ground. Uh, we did not see that the power that was considered his calling card coming out of the draft, but again, back injury and COVID it's fully, you know, reasonable to understand that he was not at 100%. Um, What are the views of Brady House? Again, it was was 46 games. He hit for an okay average, got on base, but the strikeout to walk was not great. And again, there was an absence of power, which given his pedigree was a little bit surprising. How do people view him now and are they concerned or what are they seeing?
2: So when we started seeing the numbers come out around Brady House, I think most of the baseball world kind of hit the panic button of this guy's supposed to be this powerful hitter. That's his thing. And he's not hitting for power at all. He's barely hitting. He just wasn't living up to what he had showed before, what he's supposed to do and everyone kind of had this big question mark. So the nationals ended up shutting him down for the rest of the season when they said it would only be a couple of weeks. So you had to kind of infer, okay, something else is going on here. What is it? We later learned, you know, he had a back injury that he was trying to play through that he ended up injuring a little bit more. He had COVID that really messed with his power. And he was just exhausted and it really hit him hard. So the Nationals have tried to told everybody internally, you know, hey, mulligan year. Everybody take a deep breath. This is nothing to worry about. Now, if he comes back next season and shows the same things, then we can start to panic. But for this past season, it's all good. We understand why last season happened the way that it did. We know we have a reasonable explanation as to why Brady House was not Brady House.
0: And again, fully understandable back injury can really sap your strength and uh, especially your ability to rotate. And then again, COVID, when it hits you hard again, can really wipe you out. So it's understandable. And, and you're right. It, in a lot of ways, this, you know, it's a mulligan year and seeing what he does next year, I think we'll get a better feel for who Brady house really is with that. When it came to ranking him, um, you have Christian Vicero, who was one of the top players in last year's international signing class. You also have Harlan Susanna, who also came over in the Juan Soto deal and, showed some of the loudest, most exciting stuff of any pitcher in the ACL last year, got traded over, continued to pump 100, 101, 102, like it was nothing. Um, How did you kind of stack this group up? Because all three of these guys are, are pretty talented, especially at their peaks.
2: So when I was looking at Brady House, of course, I was one of those people that kind of looked at the panic and I was like, okay, wait a second, where does he rank into this? How far is he going to fall? And then when I talked to people within the Nats organization who kept saying, please, you know, next year is the year that we're going to really evaluate him. Mulligan year, XYZ. I put myself in the mindset where I was like, okay, if we're, we're going to look at this year, because it's not like it, it counts as much as they don't want to say it counts. It counts. But this was a guy that ranked 59th before the 2022 season on our top 100 prospect list. He still has that ability, and if we think, and we're all going off the assumption that he's going to get back to that level of player, he deserves to be the next up. Now, when he starts to play, and if he does or doesn't live up to that expectation, that would change his ranking dramatically. But if we're going to go off the expectation and the assumption that he's going to be back to being Brady House, the powerful hitter, the wide that hits for contact, the guy that's able to make those loud noises, then we're like, okay, he's number five, easy.
0: Yeah. And again, it's a good problem to have, right? You have three guys who are really talented, have some question marks, but there's there's a lot of talent to work with. Again, I think back to some of the guys who were numbers five, six, and seven in the national system two, three years ago, it was like, I'm not kidding. This guy might be number 25 in the Dodgers system. Um, It was, it was, it was pretty rough. So again, good problem to have debating between three talented players and how much do you give, how much, you know, how do you kind of evaluate, I want to talk about Harlan Zuzana for a second. Um, This was someone who was one of the better international signees that the Padres signed a few years ago and came out this year in the Arizona Complex League and and was the talk of the backfields in Arizona, um, pumping 100, 101, 102, 103, like it was nothing, showed a slider, um, showed some field of pitch. And he's kind of an interesting guy because, look, the track record of throwing 100, 200, at 18 years old is not a good one. That's generally a red flag where you say run away. Um, and there are still some control gains to come. So, you know, on the one hand, he's super exciting. You watch him, it's electrifying. Um, but you also are aware of the risks. How do you kind of stack him up? And, and, you know, I collected a lot of reviews on him when he was in the Padres system. You got some more based off his brief time uh, with the national system. After he came over, he got to Fredericksburg at the end of the year. What's the outlook for Harlan Susanna? you know, starter, reliever? Just what's, what's the long-term projection here?
2: As of now, they're looking at him as a starter. They say he has all of the power to be a starter. Now, when, of course, the Nationals are going to say that because he just came over for Juan Soto. And, of course, you want to say that the guy that throws 100 is going to be your starter. and He's going to be an ace. and He's going to be this, that, and the other. What we've seen from guys that are 18 years old throw 100 probably end up in the bullpen. That maybe makes more sense. But as of now, I mean, he's been electric. He hasn't just touched 103. He's like sat around 100. I mean, that's unheard of. People are in awe of watching him pitch. His teammates watch him and they're like, "He's not real. That's not that's not how people throw a baseball." He's impressing people in the baseball world in his own organization with his ability to throw with so much power. Now he does still need to work on his control, but he's very young, and I think even if you lose, you know one, two mile per hour in your fastball and trying to get some control when you're sitting 99. Okay. I guess you can take that trade off. I guess that works.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a powerful arm. Um, again, I just think back to, and this is the Nationals number seven prospect, but they, <laughs> they have not had a number seven prospect like this in a very long time. So it's a good place for them to be. Um, Savannah, you mentioned Jeremy De La Rosa, again, had, had a good year. Another big time international signee, struggled with health and injuries. But he was always a guy. I remember even getting a a scout review from him in spring training last year. It's like, you know, he looks healthy. He's moving well. And now that he's healthy, we're really starting to see the ability come out a little bit. What did he show evaluators and and the national system this year based off everything you saw and heard?
2: So he had haymate surgery. And he came back and people didn't really know what to expect from him. He was always a, a decent prospect. But this season, he was so committed to showing people that he was much better than a decent prospect. He was somebody to watch. And not only that, he was a name to know. And he played himself into that. And he was constantly working with the organization of what can I do to get better? How can I show you that I am a top prospect in this organization? And he's very quiet. But when he's out there, he controls the field. He controls like a clubhouse silently he's a very silent leader but he's able to kind of get people behind him he's worked on everything he's needed to work for and i think he's kind of let that prove himself to show people that you know hard work does pay off and now i'm in the dad's top 10 when i'm recovering from surgery
0: hey, he's one of those guys that again everything we kept getting last year was just consistently good and i think in this new NAT system with a lot of big guys who came over in trades, some high draft picks, a a top tier international signee. He kind of gets lost a little bit. I almost, it's funny. He's a top 10 prospect, but I also feel like he's kind of a sleeper.
2: He is. And it's so funny because I would ask people, obviously James Wood, Robert Hassel, Brady, we're talking about all these prospects and they're like, Hey, have you heard of Jeremy De La Rosa? We need to talk about Jeremy De La Rosa. I'm like, now I know who Jeremy De La Rosa is. Don't worry. But it's like people want to make sure that this guy doesn't get forgotten because he can fall behind all these other names of, oh, they have the highest ceiling. They have this, they have this. Jeremy De La Rosa is just a consistently good prospect that wants to work hard and wants to be good. He wants to be great.
0: Yeah, again, cer- certainly an interesting player. Uh, Savannah, as we move outside this top 10, again, so – First and foremost, how would you assess the national's depth? Because we've talked about, hey, this top ten is much much better than it's been. Um, but when you see your prospect handbooks, you'll see there is a, a pretty significant drop off, and that's just a function of, hey, they've only really been rebuilding for, you know, a year and a half. That you know they started the the Scherzer Turner deal July 2021. It's going to take time to build the depth of this system. How many other guys really had a, a case to be top ten, and, and how steep is the drop off? Because there is a pretty significant drop off once you get into the teens.
2: There is a pretty significant drop off. I mean, the NAT system, I think a word that was floated around was putrid before, was a word I had heard. And I said, you know, you're not wrong. It is by no means putrid any longer. There are some real players in here that have top 10 potential. There are names to watch where I know one is like Israel Pineda. He's a catcher, and he's someone that has jumped up kind of on everyone's radar now. He's not a top 10, but it wouldn't shock me if he continues to develop the way that he does, if he doesn't jump into that. You have, you know, Matt Cronin, you have Jake Bennett, who's right on the cusp. And Jake Bennett, I think is going to be amazing. Zach Bresky, he's a lefty. I think he's going to make an impact in Washington this year. There are plenty of guys that you could slot into the end of this top 10 that I think are going to make a huge impact that makes sense to say, oh, he is going to be really good. Yeah, that works. But then you get to the end of the list and they're kind of bigger question marks of maybe he'll work out. If he does this, 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 and this, he'll be really good.
0: And again, very rarely uh, do all five things click, but again, just speaks to, as you mentioned, the national system is as much as you use the word putrid at I still remember a comment I got um, about the 2021 Fredericksburg team, which was one of the worst minor league teams anyone had ever seen. I remember a scout who had that coverage said, it's not like these guys are non-prospects. It's guys who should not be in professional baseball. I mean, it was that bad. And again, now there's there's real talent in the system. It's got a long way to go. And again, the trade-off is the farm system is better. The big league team is worse. It's just part of the natural cycle of the game. They had a great run. Now they're reloading a little bit. Um, Certainly no one will say now that there's guys in the system, um, an entire team of players that should not be in professional baseball. That's no longer the case for the national system at all. And that's progress. So then as we wrap up here, just any final thoughts on, on the big league teams outlook, this organization, the farm system, just as a whole, what, you know, what the state of the nationals is and, and what to watch for here this year and in the coming years.
2: And this team is going to be a really fun one to keep up with the next couple of years. There are going to be names that you recognize and the major league team is not going to be good this year or next year, or maybe the year after that, but they are going to get there and they have the tools to start being a competitive team again. I think the development of the top of the organization is going to be incredible, but they also have some guys that are really interesting to watch. I mean, Mitchell Parker is somebody, he's a lefty he's going to be somebody that I'm going to tell everybody watch him because if he blows up I want everyone to clip this and remember that I said Mitchell Parker was going to be somebody and if he doesn't please cut this out of the podcast and I never
0: said (laughs) Mitchell Parker absolutely no we'll we'll see what happens and if Mitchell Parker blows up we will put this on the BA Twitter we'll we'll blow it up and and make it big and see see savannah savannah nailed it so well savannah thank you so much for joining us we appreciate you taking on the nationals farm system for us and uh, it's a pleasure having you on board and we're glad we're glad to have you on the podcast on the staff and doing all the great social media work you do
2: cool thanks so much for having me
0: all right everyone that'll do it for another baseball america podcast go ahead and give us a review on itunes spotify stitcher whatever platform you're listening on we'd love to hear from you for savannah mccann i'm kyle glazer thanks for listening have a good one